When I was 20 years old, I spent a semester interning at this teeny little church on an island in southwest Florida. It was an adventure in many things, like learning firsthand the, the ravages of hurricanes, or discovering how much it takes to start a multicultural ministry, and also finding out what alligator tastes like. And while I was there, I was invited to go to a week-long icon workshop at their diocesan camp. I had prayed with icons before, these ancient paintings of Jesus and the saints. There's one up here that we pray with. There was a weekly Tizay service at my campus ministry that used many of them. But beyond that, I knew little about icons. Sitting down in this quiet room that looked out to the Spanish moss and the swampland, I soaked up the tradition. I learned that while we were using paint and brushes, we were writing icons, not painting them. The leader explained that this was because we were not creating a new image, but receiving it as it had been passed down through the centuries, and then sharing out the story of this person of God once more. Sitting hunched over the board hour after hour, I I found it was as much an exercise in meditation as it was in the generation of something artistic. It was a, a painstakingly slow process, mixing the pigments and then adding layer after careful layer of thin paint to the icon board. Built into the icon, into what at first glance looks like a rather straightforward painting, is a complexity that begs our interaction. It's a kind of complexity that the leaders challenging Jesus in today's gospel are trying so desperately to avoid. It's a rather unlikely team, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Usually, these two groups were at odds with one another. The Herodians found their power in alliance with the Roman forces occupying this land, while the Pharisees generally stood more closely alongside the common folk who were feeling the heavy effects of the occupation. But here... With Jesus, they find a shared fear. And this becomes then a shared goal. Both groups of leaders are intimidated by his teaching this way of boundless love. They fear what this way of love may mean for them, how it may threaten the power they hold. And the question of taxes, it seems, has always been a thorny one. In this case, either Jesus will look heretical by encouraging his followers to honor the emperor by paying the taxes, 
or else he will sound dangerously like he's encouraging sedition by teaching them that they can skip out on this tax. Neither response will end well for him. And that is precisely the point. The world that Jesus was living in was awfully divided. There were factions, groups of people with long-standing animosity for one another. This was so much the case that the divisions are woven all throughout our scripture, often without explanation because everyone simply believed and felt and understood these oppositions. That's why it was so jarring when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan and when he healed the Canaanite woman's daughter and when he welcomed a drink of water and then offered his true self to the Samaritan woman at the well. These interactions were shocking specifically because of the incredible divisions that existed in his time and place. Does this sound at all familiar? Can we recognize ourselves and our time in these well-worn divisions? Jesus sees this loaded trap for what it is. He asks the leaders for a simple coin and asks them then to look at it. His question, as it comes through our translation, is whose head is this and whose title? The Greek behind these words is different, though. What we hear translated as head is actually the Greek word icon, or in English, image. He's asking them to look at what is before them and really see it, see it for what it represents. The emperors, they respond, thinking it's an easy question. And he continues. Sure, he seems to say the money is of Caesar's realm and the empire's machinations. And much of this world is problematic. Jesus speaks to this all the time. Every time he heals or liberates or offers his blessing to the least of these. He also understands that this same world is where they all must live and work and act. But right after declaring that, yes, he believes people can keep participating in the secular world, in this case, by paying taxes, he continues with a more sweeping request. He asks them to give to God what is God's. And I wonder, I wonder as he asks them to consider the, the image or the icon on the coin, I wonder if they are put in mind of that which carries the icon, the image of God. I wonder if their amazement as they quietly walk away from this holy teacher, I wonder if that's rooted in remembering the very beginning of the Hebrew scriptures and the story of our own beginnings 
when God made humans in their image, in the image of God. Jesus seems to be reminding them that while the coin bears the image of the emperor, all the humans around them, enemies and friends, the powerful and the meek, those they agree with and those who are so far on the other side of the aisle that they are out of sight, that every single one of these humans bears the image of God. What would it mean for us to encounter one another and all neighbors and all strangers as icons, as the very image of God? What shape would it take then for us to give to God what is God's? What I have learned in writing icons is that far more than an act of artistry. It is a practice of noticing intimately the beauty of the holy ones among us. As I have sat with brush in hand, working with layer after layer of this nearly translucent paint, I have noticed the the toes of the child Jesus and the curls of his dark hair around his ears. I've seen the long fingers of his mother holding him with care and with strength and what seems like a kind of weary love in her eyes. I've seen the fabric surrounding them and and wondered how it felt against their skin. With the icon, I saw them. I encountered them, both in their humanity and in their grace. Whether in writing an icon or in praying with one, we are invited to receive this image, this person, and the God they bear, and then turn to share out this beauty again. It's a way of allowing ourselves to be compelled towards care, towards humble service, towards faithful connection across the divisions that are every bit as rampant today as they were in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees and Herodians try to trap Jesus, forcing him to choose sides between living in the secular world or following a life of faith. He breaks down their trick of a question, making room for people to continue to be involved in the world while urging them to consider whence all things come and therefore how they can give these gifts, gifts of people and gifts of all creation, back to God. Friends, I am hard-pressed to imagine a more relevant message for us here in these United States, not two and a half weeks away from our election. The divisions and animosity all across our nation are intense and dangerous, and it is coming from all sides. Our collective ability to see one another as kin 
even when we disagree, has broken down. I will not encourage you to vote in any particular way on November 3rd. That is absolutely not my role or my place. And I will say, please vote. We live in a problematic world with a very imperfect system. In some ways, yes, it looks rather like the empire that Jesus was wrestling with so mightily. But he did not tell them to opt out. Instead, when put to the test, he asked them to give what was God's back to God. Which is to say, here, within the world, we are to lift up all humans. For all humans bear the image and likeness of God. We are to lift them up to this same God. This way of Jesus weaves together both attention and action. It is a way of looking deeply at those around us, that we may see their beauty and their humanity and their gifts and their needs. It is a way of of dropping down our hard lines of division until we may encounter these souls as the bearers of the image of God that they each are. And then it is a way of staying rooted in this flawed human community to which we all belong and taking action, action that lifts up all these beloved and vulnerable children of God back up to our God. And I pray lifting them into health and peace and abundant life. My fervent hope is that this will be our prayerful action on November 3rd and all our days. Friends, while so much around us is so fraught, I think Jesus' invitation to us today is as simple as it is profound. Look at the icon. With your whole heart, look at the icon that is one another. Let that image of God, present in neighbor and stranger alike, Lead the way you will live in this broken world.